WCLS in Whatcom County presents Library Stories, a podcast to open your eyes to all the ways your local public libraries matter. Join us as we reveal the power of sharing at the library. I'm your host, Neil McKay, Online Experience Coordinator for the Whatcom County Library System, and today... I'm here again with Mary Vermillion, my boss. Good morning, Neil. Good morning. Um, you just got back from some some time off here. Yeah, my husband and I went um, up and over the Cascades on Highway 20 and um, spent a couple days in the really beautiful little community of Twisp and did some hiking and relaxing and, of course, found the local library. It was closed when we were there, but, you know, you always track down the local library. And they also had, of course, a course, uh, one of those fun little free libraries. It's the little free art library, a little art project out of an old phone booth uh, that was chock full of books and people going in and out of it um, while we were there in the metro- metropolis of Twisp. Oh, in a phone booth. Yeah, an old phone booth. Yeah, they had repurposed it. So it was kind of neat to see that. That's amazing. The things yeah. you can find in small towns. Well, while you were off gallivanting around <laughs> and hiking, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I was busy uh, putting together a couple of really great interviews. Yeah, and I have not heard them. I tell me, tell me what you have on this show. Well, we've got two great guests today. Um, Bonnie Sue Hitchcock, who is the author of uh, the October e-read of the month. Um, everyone dies famous in a small town Mm -hmm. and and, uh, of course with the e-read of the month uh there's no weights no holds you you can pick up the ebook or the e-audio book at any time during this month without waiting at all so so mary kinzer sat down with her and had just a great conversation and Bonnie Sue is just just a kick in the pants. He's just a fun author. Yeah, that e-read of the month pro, um, program, which um, the collection librarian started earlier this year, is such a great um, benefit for having a WCLS library card. Because as you said, Neil, you don't have to wait. And these are books that the librarians have picked for you as terrific audiobooks. And if you've yet to really... Um, try either you know an ebook or an audiobook it's a it's a great introduction because you know it's going to be a guaranteed good pick pick it's been curated by Emma or Mary or Lisa and so um really encourage people to try that and talk about getting to the front of the line thanks to your library card you do not have to wait for a really um fantastic um ebook or audiobook yeah yeah and this one is great I'm reading it now um, oh yeah I haven't started it yet it's a book of short stories Mm-hmm. But they're all related, and you'll find mm-hmm. out more in the interview. Um, uh-huh. but there's also, you know, kind of a Northwest tie to it, too. Oh, interesting. I love short stories. I remember um, Nancy Pearl saying, I think it was Nancy Pearl saying something about um, during the pandemic that short stories had become very popular because people's um, attention span was different. And so they felt like um, just reading short stories, little snippets of things versus investing fully into a novel. Um, or anything of longer, you know, more pages that a short story was a was a better bet. Right. And speaking of Nancy Pearl, <laughs> you're welcome for the segue. That's great. She's our second <laughs> guest. Uh, I got to yeah. sit down with with Nancy. Um, and of course, the occasion was her winning the National Book Foundation 2021 Literarian Award. Yes, and you have a little connection with Nancy, so you're like, I'm going to reach out and see if I can get her on the show, and you did. I I do have a little connection. I've I've um, it wouldn't you wouldn't call it stalking exactly, <laughs> but the first time I met uh, Nancy was at the Whatcom Literacy Council fundraiser breakfast in 2018 when I had just started working for the library system, mm-hmm. and we had a whole group of of librarians whatcom county librarians uh, attending this this fundraiser breakfast it's a great cause and of course nancy every year had been the keynote speaker mm-hmm. in her recommendations for the year yeah great event at the end of the event um i i thought we could get a group picture of of the whatcom county library system staff who had attended and there's like 20 of us mm-hmm. and and with nancy and um i most of the the 
people that I talked to said, oh, no, you know, that's, you know, that we, that'll, that's just not going to happen. She's going to be busy. She's got to get out of there. She's signing yeah. autographs. It's Nancy Pearl for crying out loud. Yeah, Nancy she's Pearl. not going to have time yeah, for us. She's, yeah, she's way too important for us. <laughs> so, and, and me being new, you know, the thing, the great thing about being the new kid in a job or anywhere is you don't know what you can't do. Mm-hmm. So I kind of sidled my way over. I told the the staff to go wait down this hallway at, at a stairwell mm-hmm. where they could kind of stand around and get a group picture. And, and yeah. so they, we were going to get that group picture. And then I hustled over to where Nancy was and, you know, found, caught her in between chatting with people and just said, you know, we've got 20 Whatcom County Library System staff members sitting here hoping that you'll take a picture with her with us. And she dropped everything. She said, I'll be right back. And she followed me down a dark hallway into a stairwell, (laughs) which, you know, maybe not the smartest thing, but it turned out all right. And the look look on everyone's face when when I walked up with Nancy Pearl was great. So ever since then, I've, I've managed to find reasons and excuses to, to stay in touch with her. Yeah. So no, it's not stalking. It's just, you know, you're a fan, right? And now you guys are friends, I think. And also because um, our executive director, Christine Perkins, um, wasn't it? I think her intern, it was an internship, right? With Nancy. So, um, so there's that connection for WCLS as well, but we're just really building, building a beautiful relationship here with America's librarians. So I think we are. And of course, yeah, of course, Nancy, um, she's, she's, done a lot of podcasts she's Mm -hmm. hosted a lot of podcasts sure so i was pretty nervous to to suddenly turn the tables on her and it's like it's you know it's my podcast and you're going to be talking about you (laughs) right right Um, she was very gracious and 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 nice but she did i mean she's like a huge huge presence in the podcasting world oh yeah yeah and people know her from npr as well um yeah yeah. so yeah well what a coup she's the biggest celebrity yet on um on our podcast that's right if you listen to the episode you'll find out who her biggest celebrity that she ever oh yeah oh that'll be interesting so we also and we also threw her a little surprise yeah, Something we won't get we won't give that away. We'll keep everybody stay tuned for that part of it. But but thank you, Nancy Pearl, for agreeing to appear on the podcast and um and for being for being our friend, our library friend. We appreciate you. And, and congratulations, congratulations, and for, the, congratulations. for the big award. Yeah, very and, well and, deserving. And like I said, she was so gracious. She talked so much <laughs> in the <laughs> nicest way. I'm saying that yeah. in the nicest way, but she um she let us interview her for over an hour and I had this break it up into two parts. So we're only going to listen to part one of Nancy's wow. interview today. And then yeah. in two weeks we'll post the second part of the interview. Well, yeah, it's such a gift to have her. It was just like talking with old friends over, over mm-hmm. coffee. Oh, fantastic. It was just a wonderful experience. So yeah. let's, let's get right into it. And yeah, I've and- got a, I've got a warm cup of tea here and I'm, I'm ready to put on my earbuds and listen. So thanks, Neil. I'm sure it's going to be another great show. I'm Mary Kinzer. I'm a collection development librarian with WCLS and I am here with Bonnie Sue Hitchcock, who is the author of our October e-read of the month. Um, it's called Everyone Dies Famous in a Small Town. Um, Bonnie Sue, you may know her name already. She's the author of the award-winning novel, The Smell of Other People's Houses. Um, And this is her newest book, which is a short story collection that interlinks the stories of young people from Alaska and Colorado and little towns all across the West. Uh, And it really dives into the experiences of living in a small town. Uh, and what it's like to um, grow up there and be there through the lens of young people. So Bonnie Sue, we're so excited to talk to you today. Hi, Mary. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm hoping that you can give us your little elevator pitch for what this book is about. It's a it's a kind of a tricky one to describe, and I'm guessing that you have an elevator pitch down for it. I probably should have practiced my elevator pitch. Um, <laughs> Well, I think you already described it. It, Actually, you did the elevator pitch. It is a collection of short stories that are loosely linked. So 
you know, the, the goal was that the sum, the whole was greater than the sum of its parts, which was tricky and took me about five years to do um, because each story is a standalone short story. But if you read the whole thing, if you don't get bored and you quit, um, the, the bigger novel tells a larger story in the backdrop. So um, it's interesting you mentioned the first book, the, the Smell of Other People's Houses. This is the format that I tried the first time with that book, and it got changed quite significantly through the editing process. So it was, it was fun to do it again. And um, a couple of the stories were, one specifically was cut from the first book. And so it was sort of a jumping off point for this one. So it seems like I just keep kind of moving forward with my characters and small towns, uh, quirky people, things I know from growing up here in Alaska. <laughs> Right. Well, and I think that's one of the things that's really going to resonate with our readers, right? We're here in rural Whatcom County, and um, we serve a lot of small communities here. And so readers really know what that experience of small town life is. And you really capture that feeling. Um, plus, sort of there's that spirit of the West that runs through all of your um, stories in this collection. Tell me about that process of intertwining these stories, because they don't all take place in the same area. So was that tricky to do? Um, yes, it was tricky. Um, I actually lived in Colorado for a little bit. Um, was my first time living, well, not really my first time living in the lower 48, because we actually lived in Washington for a couple of years when I was a kid as well in a tiny town, Carnation, Washington, oh, has mm -hmm. five group people. I loved it. Um, my mother hated it. And so she was also born and raised here. And so to save my parents from getting divorced, we packed up and drove the outland <laughs> back to Alaska. But we spent two years there. So um, sort of rambling, but that idea, I just, I've always lived in small towns and it was really nice to spend some time in the West in Colorado um, because it gave me more of a perspective of other places. It was, you know, I don't want to write, I just don't want to write only Alaskan stories because I, I just don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, tying the stories together was a little bit tricky, but you know, we've driven the Alcan many times to go down to Washington. My family, a lot of my family has migrated to the West Coast, to Seattle area, um, Paulsville across. And then my mm -hmm. sister went to Western Washington in Bellingham. I spent some time there. And one of the stories I sort of envision, you can probably guess which one is in that area. Oh, I wondered about that. I was like, oh, this feels very familiar to me. <laughs> well, that's good. I hope I'm, that's a success if it feels familiar to you. Oh, definitely. You captured that really well. I'm, I'm curious. So your novels, one of the things I really love about your work is it's so deeply character driven. The, the action is so, you know, deeply embedded in your characters. I'm curious about that. Like, is there a character in particular that you've written either in this collection or in your previous book that really stands out to you as somebody that is your favorite? Or is there, is there a way that you go about making these characters so unique? Oh, that's a great question. Um, a few characters just popped into my head, as you said, do you have a favorite? Um, I really, really enjoyed writing um, Poppy's character, oh. the, the girl that has an invisible friend. Um, in fact, it, my editors were saying, you know, that that in this collection, the characters should only appear once and not keep coming back because that might be confusing to people. And over the five years of editing, I think, I think she might have forgotten that she said that and I got <laughs> sneak Poppy's character back into that story near the end. I don't oh, know. Yay. Conversation and then it just sort of worked for her to come back. And um, so I felt like that was sort of a win there. Um, I, you know, a lot of the details and, and things that I get come from just people I know. And I sort of borrow little tidbits, which is interesting and also tricky because especially like I have three sisters and a brother and they're always trying to figure out who they are in the in the stories 
And I'm only taking tiny things and then recreating like a whole new character. So it, it, they even said it's hard for them to read because they're too busy looking for clues that oh, gosh. Really like investing in the characters. So I've tried to convince them to, to read as a reader instead of, you know, mining for looking for the little crumbs. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's so great. So I'm curious now, you know, coming off of your first book and you, and you mentioned that it took five years for this one, how was the writing process different or the same from your first book with this novel? It was really similar, actually. The first one took a really long time as well. I think I'm a, I think I, well, I don't write linear and I think that's why it takes me so long um, to actually get a cohesive novel. I sort of jump around and I have this big storyboard that I use um, that's sort of like a, uh, it's a map with lines that are colored and connect the different characters and the different events. And then I also have a different color for setting or for this book, I had a lot of different colors just to make sure that I was linking things the way I wanted to. So it's this big poster board, which I sent it to my agent and she wrote back and said, you are officially the Unabomber of YA. Because <laughs> it looks, it does look like this crazy kind of map. It's very old school too. I think I learned that in eighth grade, which probably dates me, but the process for this book was a little bit different because I spent two years writing it as a novel, just a straightforward mm -hmm. novel. And mm -hmm. it just didn't work and it didn't work and it didn't work. And I realized that what I really love are short stories. And that's sort of what I wanted to do with the smell of other people's houses. And so I begged both my editors to let me do that again or try to do it. And, and they agreed. So, so when I say two years, five years, it was really three once I decided what it should be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then it was a little easier. Um, well, and I think short stories are perfectly timed right now. Like I talk to readers all the time who say, I can't, you know, life during a pandemic is hard. I can't commit to a whole book. I just want to read a little something. And that's one of the things that sort of drove me to think about your book this time around for our e-read was just that idea that you can dip in and pick up one story and each one is so perfectly formed. Um, and then the fact that they interconnect is just, you did such a beautiful job with that. I in deep awe of that, especially hearing that you don't write linearly. That's, I'm, you're blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was a radio journalist for a long time and I feel like short story, the short story format is real similar to doing a radio story where, you know, every word has to be so perfectly, you know, a, a three minute story um, is it's, it's hard and you have all that backstory and you, you know, all that information and you're trying to like paint a picture um, I spend a lot of time thinking about the things that get left out as opposed to what's in the story. It takes me about a year after I write something to go back and read it and not remember like all the things that got cut. Oh, so, wow. Wow. Um, so, but that's, I think my background sort of lends itself to short stories and um, I'm trying really hard to write a linear novel again, you know, another book. And I have this feeling I'm going to be begging for short stories again. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Well, you have a gift for them. So I'm curious, you mentioned your background in radio and I'm really curious, how did you make the leap from radio to writing for young people? Well, mostly with budget cuts. Um, <laughs> my show got <laughs> dropped from public radio, but you know, I actually have always wanted to write um, young adult literature we, we, I was a commercial fisherman before and raised my kids on a boat. So we used a lot of YA lit in our curriculum when we homeschooled on the boat. And interestingly, I just could not seem to, it just seemed impossible. It seemed like a pipe dream to be able to do that. And so radio was something actually I did because it was more ironically more practical <laughs> but, and you know everyone I was living in Sitka Alaska then which is really similar to Bellingham and climate and stuff but everyone there is really involved in the community radio station so that's that was just a little I thought it would be a hobby and it turned into a career but in the back of my mind was always this idea that wouldn't it be great to write 
young adult literature. So when my show got dropped in, it's been a while, 15 years ago, I went back to school and got an MFA at Hamlin for in writing for children and young adults. So I got to work with um, so many amazing authors and other aspiring children's writers. And so just to build a community, it was really, really neat to do that. And wow. Just, like, can I even do this? You know, that was my big question. So... Well, and clearly you can, and right, we're so glad that you did make that leap because your books are so um, interestingly positioned. I think they speak to a, a specific experience within YA, and I think that's why people respond to them, particularly readers in our community really are seeing themselves reflected in your books and your in your themes and in your characters. And I think it's really important, right, to give young people a range of experiences to find themselves. And I think adults have really responded to your work as well. Um, yeah, I really appreciate that. And I, I mean, your library system has just been incredible with both my books. I've really felt the love coming from Whatcom County. So <laughs> I appreciate that. I know that they are written for a very specific audience. You know, it's not, they aren't the Hunger Games and they're not, you know, that splashy. And I think a lot of teens want to escape, you know, into sci-fi or fantasy. And I do, I really do appreciate that. But I, I guess, you know, I write the sort of book that I would have wanted to read when I was a teenager. So I hope there's still, you know, there's still people out there that love character driven, you know, stories and they're quiet books. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think I think they're quiet, but, you know. Oh, that's what I love about them. I love a quiet book like that that just hits you with the deep truth. I just think they're. They're great. I am curious though. I'm a big fan of your titles. You have the best titles and I'm so curious to find out where do these titles come from? Well, thank you. They're just, they're sort of, you know, just happy accidents. Um, the smell of other people's houses came from a, actually a writing prompt. A friend and I used to get together and write and she came up with it and said, hey, let's write about the smell of other people's houses. For we, we do these really quick writes for 20 minutes. And that's, it just, it just popped out. And it wasn't going to be the title, but one of my professors at Hamlin was, that book was also started out as my creative thesis for, for Hamlin. Oh, wow. So I worked with Kelly Easton on it. And I had a really bad title. In fact, it was, I can't even repeat it because it was so bad. And <laughs> Kelly, that the smell of other people's houses was just the name of one of the one of the chapters in the book. And she said, this should be the title, not not that other one. And it was funny because I said, Oh yeah, Kelly didn't really like that title, my first title. And she said, didn't like it. I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, you know, sometimes you get a lot of help with these things, which is great. And then Everyone Dies Famous in a Small Town. I had that, I had chosen that title and I thought that I came up with it because, you know, I just, it, I just thought I thought of it one day, but my daughter is a really loves country music and she was, I think she was playing Miranda Lambert and that is a Miranda Lambert song. Which oh. I didn't actually realize until after I submitted the title and then someone said, you know, that's a song. And I, I realized it probably had seeped in from Miranda Lambert. Mm -hmm. I was this genius that came up with it. So, Well, it's great, right? They're those unforgettable in a sea of very forgettable titles, I think. It, they really stand out and, you know, it communicates that here's something really different and unique. So, yeah, I think you have a gift. Bonnie Sue, what is one thing that you really want readers to take away from your work? Hmm. Oh, you know, that that I should know the answer to this question. I I I think I hesitate because I really want people just to just to kind of go in for the experience, not to have a preconceived idea. Um you know, I've been thinking about this a lot about fiction and about what is, you know, what what makes a story and what draws me to a story. And I really, really don't like someone pushing me along or kind of 
you know that feeling you get where you're like I feel like I'm being mm-hmm. manipulated and told that I need to feel a certain way with this book and mm-hmm. so I think that's why I kind of go oh I don't you know just I think people should just own their own experience and and I do realize that people are bringing so much of their own like their background and their story when they read a book because some of the reactions that I, that people have have blown me away either good and bad you know like like it's just interesting to me how emotional people will get about certain aspects of the book or angry or they'll say how did you know this was my story oh wow that kind of thing and I, and i think like if if someone really connects with it and resonates with it that that's about all you can you can really hope for you know mm-hmm. Right, right. Because you're not shying away from from deep themes here, um, which I think is really interesting. You know, you're not afraid to to dig up some darkness, um, but it is in the character's reaction to and how they assimilate that darkness that people really sort of see the breadth of your work. You're not you're not forcing a point. You're see, you're showing how the characters are reacting to what happens to them. I hope it doesn't feel forced because. Mm-mm. You know, and I think maybe that is why it takes me so long, Mary, because it, it is emotional and it is really some of it is I try to put a lot of light. I try to put lightness in and mm-hmm. I, I know that my family tends to have a lot of dark humor. So things that we think are funny, other people tend to <laughs> maybe talk at um, my grandmother, who's 100, almost 102 and sharp as sharp as a tack. She laughed through those the whole story, the first story, which other people have not that was funny, but she just thought it was the funniest story. And I thought that was interesting, which, yeah, there's probably a whole lot more to that. Mm-hmm. But um, I know when I wrote um, The Right Kind of People, I actually wrote that story in Port Townsend. Um, oh. Somebody gave a, a high school friend said come right in my house I'm going to be out of town and I went for a month and wrote and that that gave me the ability to just completely disappear into that story but I remember finishing it and then I just sat in the bathtub for like three hours afterwards so so I mean I feel like if I if that happened to me writing it I'm I can't expect people to you know, read it and not have a reaction of any, of some sort. Mm-hmm. But once you send a book out in the world, it's really not yours anymore. I mean, I'm really aware of that. It belongs to the readers and they get to decide what they think about it and how it, whether they just want to put it down and never look at it again or think about it for a long time or, you know, it's really, I think it's important to realize that it's a, it's almost a dialogue. It's a conversation Mm -hmm. and I don't own these stories once they're out in the world. Mm -hmm. It's another reason I take so long with them so I can keep them. (laughs) Right. Because once you, once it's out there, it's out there. And right. We talk about that a lot in the library system and working with readers that right. Everybody, we, we all read the same text, but we don't all read the same book. Everybody's you're bringing all of your past and your life and your experience to the page. So it's a different reading experience for everybody. And I think a book like this, that's so deeply personal, there's so much to unlock there for the reader. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So what's next for you, Bonnie Sue? Are you working on a project right now or what's next? I am. I'm working on a project. I'm hoping to write sort of a a mystery, um, more, more fun, less dark, but it's still a murder mystery. So, (laughs) (laughs) oh, yeah, well, not really a murder mystery, but um, yeah, just a, a mystery. I'm trying to make it linear, make it a full novel not jump around, not make people so crazy. (laughs) Um, But I'm also, I'm also working as a contact tracer here in Alaska. So that's, you know, we ramped up our COVID cases again. And so I did that for seven months last winter and then, and then things looked good. So I, I went back to writing and, you know, so I'm trying to do both. We'll see. Because mm. both are pretty emotional. Right. I was going to say, like, that's a big emotional load to take on. 
um, especially opposite your writing. Right. It really is. I will tell you though, that, you know, I love, I think that's why my stories are character driven. I just like hearing people's stories and I, mm-hmm. I like connecting on that level. And so it feels like it's part of the writing process a little bit. And it also makes the pandemic less of like this statistics and numbers and news story, mm-hmm. because I'm just connecting one-on-one with people and it feels more humane to me mm-hmm. than than when I'm not talking to people who are, you know, experiencing whatever they're experiencing. So. Right. Do you think that that experience as a contract contact tracer, do you think that will color your future work? I think it'll seep in, but I think mm-hmm. every single thing in life is seeping in. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I think people are afraid to talk to me anymore once they realize <laughs> what I do. <laughs> right. Even more than when I was a journalist, they seem to think fiction. I I really noticed that fiction feels a little more personal and people are a little more sensitive, even if you're not even writing about them. It's totally I mean, I thought fiction would be I would be free from that aspect Mm -hmm. of, you know, as a journalist, I felt like it was other people's stories and I had to handle them so carefully. And I did. And now I feel, I think like, oh, I'm just taking like maybe one detail or two details, but the reaction when someone sees themselves in a story, it's been interesting. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> <So>. I bet. <laughs> and then the ones who I'm really writing about, they don't see themselves. They never <laughs> Very that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Phew. Maybe that's a good thing sometimes. <laughs> But I mean, that's what writers do. We borrow, we borrow from the world. And, you Mm -hmm. know, so there was a great t-shirt in Port Townsend I saw that said, be careful or you'll end up in my novel. (laughs) Just wear that around. (laughs) Consider yourself warned. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you, Bonnie Sue. And I hope that um, our readers will enjoy engaging with your book, Everyone Dies Famous in a Small Town, um, as much as I have enjoyed engaging with it. This month in October, uh, readers who have a WCLS library card can check out that book with no wait for the ebook or the e-audio all month long. So grab that. It's a great little book to pick up and read short bits of or listen to while you're out doing errands. Um, and we'll look forward to more from you, Bonnie Sue. Thank you so much, Mary. It's been great to talk to you. Okay, my very special guest today is Nancy Pearl, America's Librarian. Hi, Nancy. How are you? I'm fine, Neil. It's always a little embarrassing to be introduced, period, but to be introduced as America's Librarian, you know. It seems like you should have a uniform. (laughs) <laughs> and a, a a book in one hand and a torch in the other or something right. like that yeah well the librarian action figure that has well, that kind of has a uniform so there is that yes <laughs> I actually have one this was actually given to me by um an, another librarian who worked who retired recently from the Whatcom County Library so, uh-huh uh-huh Liz Roberts. That, that was the blue was the original one. So that's an early one, probably 2004, I think. I wanted to make sure and put this out. I'm kind of talking fast because I have like, you know, three hours worth of questions. <laughs> you don't get this opportunity to talk to, you know, such a such a um, I'm a authority on all things library. Well, I'm happy to talk to you any old time so we can just do three hours of worth of podcasts. We'll do this. We'll have you. You'll be a recurring. Maybe we'll have you a recurring uh, guest. I'd love it. During sweeps week. Yeah, <laughs> right. If, if there is a podcast sweeps week, I wonder if there is. <laughs> but the reason that you're here today is because the news came out um, that you had won the National Book Foundation's 2021 Literarian Award for Outstanding Service to the American Literary Community. Yes, I, I that was a, a, a pretty amazing email to get um, to see that I had won that and to just be in such great company like um, Maya Angelou and mm. that wonderful editor, Carolyn Reedy and the founder of the Miami Book Fair. 
and um, the American Booksellers Association, an early leader of that. It's, it was pretty, pretty exciting. Well, you're in good company, but you deserve to be there. Thank you. Um, just for a little background for our audience, the National Book Foundation said, for nearly four decades, Nancy Pearl worked in the public library systems in Detroit, Tulsa, and lastly, Seattle, where she was executive director of the Washington Center for the Book. From the creation of the pioneering One Book, One City program, and I hope to talk about that in a little bit, to her commitment to promoting books and authors, Pearl is an energetic champion for readers across the country. Energetic champion. Don't you love it? Well, it fits. <laughs> I mean, you know, and one thing about an award like this, it's it feels like a lifetime achievement award, but you're not done yet. I hope not. I, I hope not. not. Yeah. It, you know, it leads me to, you know, the fact that you've written several books, um, uh, your novel, George and Lizzie and the Writer's Library, but also your first book, Book Lust. Right. Which you followed up with um, several sequels. I did. So yep. more book lust and book crush book for crush. kids. That book was, for kids. That was right. nice. Yeah. And and then um, one of my favorites, um, book lust to go, which is um, for tra for travelers, whether they're virtual travelers or uh, people who love to read, you know, armchair travel fans. And then people who love to travel and love to read about the places they're going. So that was a really, they were all fun to do, but I, I really loved that last one. That was really, that was That's great. Nice. That brings me to your podcasts and the reason I'm so nervous. <laughs> you... <laughs> You have at least two podcasts going. Is that right? Well, no, you know, there's just one real, really no podcast at this particular time. But um, I do interview um, authors for the Seattle channel. And th that's really it turns it into a YouTube um you know their right their, podcast. Yeah. Or whatever they do with it. Yes. Yeah. So there is so there is that. I think that's a valid podcast. I, I would call that a podcast. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, you know, that's even even scarier than than what we're doing here because of course you're on camera. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I always treat all those interviews, whoever I'm interviewing, as though we're just sitting in my living room um, just talking. And I don't normally... I, I don't get nervous about that kind of thing any longer, if I ever did. I mean, the thing that I get nervous about sort of ordinary living, um, yeah. you know, the kind of thing that other people take for granted, that makes me nervous. But interviewing writers or even somebody, you know, the probably the most, you know, biggest name that I've ever interviewed is Tom Hanks. And, mm. and that was in front of like 3000 people at, you know, for Seattle Arts and Lectures. And it was, um, you know, it was just so much fun to do um, yeah. that after that, I just sort of feel like it's all, it's always going to be interesting. I heard your Tom Hanks interview. I did, did you? a lot of listening to you over, <laughs> over the last several days. Um, I also heard you uh, interviewing uh, uh, Melinda Gates. Yes. And that was a fascinating interview, but the thing that came out of it for me that I can't get out of my head is that she pronounced the name of the author of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in a way that I'd never heard it before. Oh, I don't even yeah, have any memory of that. She, well, it was just kind of thrown in there, but she said Ruald Dahl. Oh, right. And uh, immediately I'm texting my son and saying, Nancy Pearl's interviewing Melinda Gates and she just said Ruald Dahl. And so he's looking it up and <laughs> a video of Ruald Dahl from 1961, where he introduces himself as Ruald Dahl. And of course, wow. in my life I've said Roald. Right. Right. <laughs> so, you know, to be confronted with that is always a shock. Um, I don't know if you have that experience of, words that you've only seen written and never seen out loud. Absolutely. I mispronounce 
probably at least one word a day because they're just words that I've read and never seen. I, I you know, I used to think that the word A-W-R-Y was awry instead of awry. And um, for a long time, I thought the word was mizzled when it's really misled. That's so good to hear. Yeah. That just, that just makes me feel okay about myself. Well, I think that, you know, big uh, th those of us who learned our vocabulary through books, we're prone to those mispronunciations. Mm -hmm. And then add to that, you know, I'm such a, um, I just love all things, all things British. And so I tend to pronounce the words, um, my granddaughters tell me this, I tend to pronounce words in the British pronunciation rather than the American pronunciation. Yeah. So, you know, I say like er instead of air, like he erred. Um, and uh, they just always laugh at me for that. So, but, but that's but that's proper. I think I think definitely England, it is. Yeah. Don't yeah. change that. <laughs> I and I let me say about the Melinda Gates interview. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not a big fan of memoirs in general. I mean, it's not it's not the kind of the, I don't pick them up. You know, I have friends who love memoirs. Um, but when I was asked to interview Melinda Gates about this memoir, her, her, her first book, I, I, you know, agreed to do it. And I was really, I really thought that book was so interesting. And I admired her for the, the work that she does, that the, that the, um, that the foundation does. And I admired her for her, you know, her, her sort of interest in women's rights and, and, and women's lives. Um, so that was just um, a kind of, and I loved the interview. I, she was very, very, very forthcoming, both in the book and, and in the interview. So that was a pleasant surprise. That's, that's great. Yeah. She, it was a fascinating interview and, and to hear her talking about being the, the female engineer, right. And female engineer in a, in a, world of male engineers that yeah right yeah illuminating all is illuminating to hear something like that um but back to you yeah <laughs> okay you you've given a ted talk too yeah a tedx talk at seattle university and okay. i was i was really pleased this was also many years ago but it gave me a chance to talk about my my theory of why people like the books they like. And, and that's something that, you know, grew out of many years of being a librarian and being what we would call a reader's advisor, mm -hmm. uh, you know, doing reader's advisory work, which in the bookstore world, which is where I, which is something that I did for about 10 years, they, you know, we call it hand selling, where you're talking to somebody, trying to sell somebody, sure. trying to get, find out what a reader would like to read and as a result of all that i really you know uh, really developed this idea of why people like the books they like and how we as librarians can help those people find their next good read and you developed a whole theory of not only the next good read but let's all read it together yeah, well, so originally, you know, the title that we came up with in Seattle, which is the most clunky name for the a project ever, was If All Seattle Read the Same Book. Luckily, luckily, um, it's been, you know, it, it, Seattle now calls it, I think, Seattle Reads or something like mm -hmm. that, or but yes. different cities have different names for it. But nothing as clunky as that original title, thank goodness. <laughs> but it's all based on the idea that, you, you know, having people read the same book and coming together to talk about that book. Um, and that I think is, is, it, it is so important. You know, I always loved the idea of book groups and, and neighborhood book groups, you know, where a group of, of, of people come together and with neighborhood book groups, Neil, mostly the people are going to be similar in um, educational level in economics, you know, often in, you know, it's frequently it's all women or all men, more frequently all women. Um, you know, many times they have children around the same age or the kids are all in t-ball together or soccer. So, you know, there's that commonality that they have. But what I love 
I love the idea of people coming together to a library or another public place, a recreation center, for example, and, and people who are very different from one another, but who have all read the same book and talking about that book. And, I, you know, I, I've always believed that librarians make the world a better place one book at a time, <laughs> but definitely librarians make the world a better place and that the public library is the heart of the community. Um, and, and a community without a library really is lacking in something that makes that community tick. Truer words were never said. And on that note, I have a surprise for you. I've invited someone to join us and we're gonna see if this works because I've not tried this before. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, Christine. <laughs> Surprise, Nancy. Hello. <laughs> Hello. So we have Christine Perkins, executive director of the Whatcom County Library, joining us. And we brought Christine in because you have a special connection with Nancy Pearl. I do. Nancy is uh, responsible for me becoming a public librarian. Did you know that, Nancy? I, you know, I think we talked about that years and years ago, and it's one of the highlights. I mean, I'm I'm so happy. Whatever influence I might have had on you becoming a public librarian, and you know, I remember when you were at the Burlington Public Library, and I remember when you got the job at Whatcom County as the director, and how thrilled I was for you, and how I have to say how fortunate. I feel that the people of Whatcom County are to have you as the head of the library. Oh, that's, that's for sure. I can saying that. <laughs> uh, you can send me the check later, Krista. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> well, honestly, Neil, um, I was doing an internship in library school with Nancy Pearl, and it was like the dream internship. She said, just go read really good books. <laughs> That was right when you were writing the book list. Yep, yep. Because the lust never is quenched, right? <laughs> no, never. In fact, I think, I think it gets more and more. I think as it grows, that there's a sense of terror that accompanies it because you're getting older and you're going to have less time, you know, to read. So you're going to feel. So then, you know, of course, then you have to stop reading if you're not enjoying a book even earlier than right, you right. normally would. So, <laughs> so. I, also, that is one of my favorite things uh, that you have taught the world, Nancy, is that it's okay to give a book a good shot and then let it go. Right. Yeah. I, I think sometimes people feel that um, people feel that they have to kind of slog through a book because everybody else loved it, but they didn't, or, you know, won an award, a big award, and they just cannot get into it. But I think really that 80%, at least 80% of why we like a book or not is really based on our mood. Like, you know, do, do, when we pick up that book, what mood are we in? And, right. you know, our moods change. So, you know, they can change moment by moment, but, but, you know, there's plenty of examples that I could give from my own life where I started a book and didn't love it, didn't like it, put it down, picked it up, you know, six weeks later or six years later, and then loved it. And it's just because, you know, nothing changed. The The book is the same, but you're different. And and so, you know, there's no shame in in, in saying I didn't love this book. Right. Um and we need to just put it down and, you know, go to the library and get another book. Something um, else. Something I have else. a vivid memory of um, uh, needing to read uh, Wallace Stegner's Angle of <laughs> Working With You. And I was 25 at the time and I just could not get that book. Right. It right. did not speak to me. I thought, oh, this old man just whining, whining, whining. Um, and now that I'm an older woman myself, I'm starting to think maybe it's time to dip my toe back into Wallace Stegner and see how it goes. Yeah, either that one or the one who 
either either angle of repose well almost any of his books he was a wonderful writer but i remember reading um a wonderful novel called the movie goer by walker oh, percy yeah. and i read it when i was about 18 and and the main woman character the main female character is about 20 and she's really depressed and i was 18 and i was really depressed and I just connected with her. I just, you know, it was like I I was that character. I understood her. And then, you know, maybe 20, 30 years later, let's say, I read it. I had because when I was teaching at the University of Washington's information school about readers advisory and working with adult readers, we always read this. I always assigned one book that the whole class read and we did a book discussion and I thought, well, I'd love to read reread the moviegoer. So I assigned that book. Well, in all the years that I taught, it was the only book that universally that class hated. I mean, they just almost rebelled. And when I reread it, you know, I was no longer 18. I was no longer depressed. And I had no connection to the book. And I, I you know, I thought, why did I, you know, I couldn't, I thought the book, I couldn't even reread the book because I had nothing that connected me to it. I got, I was very impatient with that main, with Kate, who was the main character, the main female character. And I, you know, and what is, what was the difference? The difference was me and where I was in my life. So maybe, but now I think if you read Angle of Repose, Christine, you would be, you know, there's a whole big um, part of it that deals with that old guy talking about how much he hates women's lib and, yeah. you know, everything about that. And so I think that's going to raise hackles, you know, raise your hackles. But the best part about Angle of Repose is is the story of his grandparents. And, and in a way that could, you know, without the the frame that he puts on it, um, it's a wonderful, that part is a wonderful story. Nice. Well, that's part one of Nancy Pearl's interview. Watch for part two in a couple of weeks, where Nancy and Christine will go head to head in the lightning round. Book recommendations all over the place. Don't miss it. I'd like to thank our guests, Bonnie Sue Hitchcock and Nancy Pearl. Thanks also to Mary Kinzer and Christine Perkins for doing the heavy lifting in these interviews. It's a pleasure to listen and learn as my amazing colleagues engage with amazing authors. You'll find links to the books and other ephemera mentioned in this podcast on our website, wcls.org podcast. And you will find the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And once again, thanks to that beacon of light in the darkness, Mary Vermillion. All the world is made of faith and trust and pixie dust. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell your friends. You'll find all our podcast episodes on our website at wcls.org slash podcast. Until next time, this is Neil McKay for Whatcom County Library System.